What's in a Name? A podcast by any other name would still sound as lame, <laughs> but somehow we manage sounds pretty cool, right? We've changed our podcast name to reflect that it's the two of us, new parents, lifelong learners, former managers, chatting about software engineering, leadership, processes, culture, and hiring. In today's episode, we discuss the controversy of whether an office location is in fact necessary for innovation. To join the conversation, follow us on Twitter at GuildmasterC, check out our blog at www.guildmasterconsulting.com blog, or subscribe to and comment on our YouTube channel. You can find us by searching Guildmaster Consulting in quotes. If you have any questions or topic ideas for our podcast, contact us at hi at guildmasterconsulting.com. We would love to hear from you. Hello and welcome to Somehow We Manage, the software engineering podcast to help managers scale their teams and to help engineers scale themselves. Today we're going to be talking about working remotely and the relation of brainstorming to innovation in the remote space. We are also going to start with uh, a question from last time, actually, uh, from our earlier podcast, The A is Silent. We had a question from a listener. Uh, are you ready, John? Yeah. You want to hear this? Okay. So, how often do you think the volunteering part of a vault is likely to be used? It seems like it might only happen when a company forms or after a reorg when there's lots of people getting matched to lots of roles. In practice, I've not been asked what I want to do because there was something that needed to be done the most and I was the only one free at the time. When someone is hired, they are probably already being thought of for a particular role or project too. Great question. Sure. Um, so the vault is about how to do some of that reorging. Um, it's when multiple people have uh, claims to a certain role or task. Um, though in in the case uh, mentioned in the question, I guess I have to you know answer the question with the, another question a little bit. Um, in in a lot of cases, it's not so much that somebody's free; it's that they're the most free. In that, they probably have some responsibilities, um, but uh, something came up and, uh, they have the perceived least number of responsibilities. Now that perception could be widely off and we, you can often go into a lot of offices and, and software shops and find that one person is doing 90% of the various, uh, discovering design and, uh, coding activities and everybody else is just kind of milling about uh work tends to flow to the most busy person because they're the mm -hmm. most likely to say yes mm. this isn't a, a a fair way to do it um and of course a vault can help there um you also i think implied in the question there's there's some worries about being too reactive uh, i think a great deal of our uh, efforts do need to be held in reserve for uh, reaction to what the market's going to throw at us. Um, but I think uh, intentionally holding people in reserve or working on what we would call second seashell uh, or interruptible tasks is how you do that. You don't just, oh my God, we got to get somebody on this. hire someone. Yeah. <laughs> we... Throw them at this problem. Yeah. Let's get more people on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that just kind of shows a lack of planning. Um, 
And again, I have to kind of look at current events in the world. We know that top-heavy, detailed timetable plans where everything has to go at a certain place is poor planning. That is not good planning. Mm. Good plans are robust to violations of their assumptions. Uh, When various things go wrong, the plan stays firm somewhat, which, again, would lead to things like, oh, I'm going to hold a certain number of my engineering hours in reserve. We can keep those folks busy doing something that's easily interruptible and maybe work down some small tech debt here and there. Uh, And that way, when something comes up, I will have uh, a workforce ready to take it on. So you're saying that in an ideal situation, there's some slack in the plan, uh, you know, which might account for not just, uh, you know, the marketplace throwing things at you, but also retention issues. So, I mean, if there's a sudden vacuum in a skill set and, you know, it's it's not wrong to hire for a particular skill set and then to want to use that person as soon as possible when they when they come into the company. And yet you're saying that there should be a certain slack so that that person can have onboarding, can have, um, you know, some considerations about their growth uh, before they're just hurled, you know, against their volunteerism at something. Yes, though I would say this isn't the ideal world. This is the effective world, right? Ah. This isn't this isn't something like, oh, if we only had so many resources, we could do this. This is. The reason you don't have more resources is that you are not doing this. Oh. This benefits the company. This does not. This isn't something to spend your treasure on. This is something that will generate treasure for you. Okay, okay. All right. I'll think about that some more because, you know, part of me was also thinking it was a little perfect world scenario to to have your first step be volunteering, whether in conflict resolution or in uh, role conflict resolution. But we'll think more on that. I want to stick with that question. Thanks again for the question. um, And thanks, John, for causing us to think about it. Uh, So now we're going to get into something that actually appeared in our recent blog post. And that is uh, a study published by CNN. And there, John, talk us us through the the summary of it. I don't want to step on your shoes here. So CNN published an article, Virtual Meetings Can Crush Creativity, in which they cited a study. um, Let me see. Oh, Virtual Communication Curbs Idea Generation. This study was in Nature this year um, by Melanie S. Brooks and Jonathan Lavov. So this study, of course, you can take from the title, Virtual Communication uh, Curbs Idea Generation. The study purports to try and show that when we're using virtual tools like Zoom, it makes us less creative. Uh, and then, of course, CNN uh, jumps that and kind of leverages that ev- up even more. Uh, like, this is crucial to the nation. Virtual meetings can crush creativity. Uh, I think the background context here uh, is that these these studies or these sorts of articles are exactly what's being passed around in anti-remote circles in circles that are trying to say we all need to go back to the office pandemic's over now of course vaccine rates are high uh, case numbers have plummeted we're a little worried about this ba2 variant but for the most part we have effective treatments um so is it time to go back into the office I, I would argue no, obviously, because I think we have 
run into a culture shift where we realize we are actually, a lot of us are more effective remotely. And if you understand how productivity works, you won't be surprised by that. And if we want to talk about how to make us more effective in the office, it's uh, applying that same research that would, uh, that would conclude why we're so effective at home. But I want to jump into the, the nature uh, research really quick. Yeah, yeah. Take us back to the original study. So they, uh, to draw their conclusions, they set up a, uh, a simple experiment where uh, two people are working together to come up with creative uses for a Frisbee. Uh, my impression is that this is kind of a standard way of, of measuring creativity uh, and innovation. Uh, and they found that in a, when the two people were in the same room, they generated 20% more ideas uh, than people who were remote. Uh, they were working over Zoom. And let's put that number in context. I, I want to put that number in context because that okay. sounds impressive. But we're talking about a brainstorming exercise over five minutes. And so if you want to get... I believe that the uh, the folks working together in the same room were generating something like 1.5 ideas per minute, and the folks working remotely were uh, something like 1.3 ideas per minute. So that's honestly all we're talking about here. We're not talking about the the end of the world. We're not talking about the end of sustainable competitive advantage in our uh, disruptive innovation. Uh, we're talking about 20% more ideas in five minutes on... Uh, uses of a frisbee. Now, other research has tried to imply that uh, this exercise is predictive of general innovation, and, and I, I'm not going to stake my claim on trying to disrupt that. I, I believe that this is probably a good correlate of innovative and, and creative thinking. Um, what I want to go into, and, and we do this further in the blog, is talk about is this material, mm -hmm. and is there yeah, kind 20 of... Yeah, 20% more for five minutes. For like, five, yeah. Like how much of twenty percent of five minutes is a minute? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And is that substantive. Yeah, exactly. Is it substantive given the cost? Because the cost of working with two people in the room is those two people's commute, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the average commute is something like twenty-seven minutes one way. So we're talking about roughly an hour mm -hmm. uh, to take from the employee, so that we can get twenty percent more innovative ideas in the framework where they are using collaboration to innovate, right? They have to be working together to innovate for this to take effect. I won't argue two people trying to come up with ideas for a Frisbee uh, doesn't predict general creativity in a collaborative setting. I will argue that's all it predicts. We're talking about collaboration. We're not talking about individual creativity or individual innovation. Or even different kinds of brainstorming where you would think of something individually before coming together. I mean, there are different tactics. We'll get right? to that. Okay. Yeah, okay. we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so roughly to take advantage of this, you need to be spending about five hours at work uh, doing collaborative, innovative activities <laughs> every <More> day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More meetings before uh, the cost due to the commute is covered. Nobody does that. that. I mean... You're lucky if you do one hour of brainstorming a week. Uh, not lucky. You're you're a, a uh, aficionado of brainstorming if you do one yeah, you know yeah. one hour of brainstorming a week. So I don't think that this is material. Um, but 
let's actually take a step towards what you were saying, Ash. Is brainstorming even all that useful? And uh, in Harvard Business Review, Camaro Premusic in 2015 uh, talked about the research showing that brainstorming is a useless exercise and we need to stop doing it. It descends from just one guy's opinion uh, back in the 1960s that said you got to pull everybody into a room all ideas are good ideas we get them up on the board and and you just go 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 uh, there are a lot more effective ways to generate ideas namely individuals trying to generate ideas and then coming together to share them which I think you were alluding to mm -hmm. uh, so if you want 20% more productive ideas in a setting that is not useful Sure, you can pay attention to this research, but this isn't a useful setting. Um, now, in the CNN article, as well as the, the Nature study, they talk about how so many ideas come from teams, and that is true. But anyone who's worked in a team and come up with ideas knows that many of those ideas did not come up in a brainstorming session. Hmm. You probably had the idea in the shower and you went to Slack, or you brought it to the next meeting, and you're like, what do you guys think about this? Right. And that's where ideas come from. Uh, so are we less creative or innovative um, working remote? I don't think so. There's a lot to be said about the productivity benefits of working remote, and a good chunk of those come from the commute itself. Uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So if you're asking your employees to commute in, you're going to have to be making that up to them somewhere else, either in their compensation or something else. It is not free labor. Um, we might all say it's free because we're so used to it, but ultimately I think companies are having to pay something like 20% higher wages to get their workers back in. That's how much workers are valuing remote work. And all of these theories on why the office is more productive don't hold any water. We just talked about the office is not more innovative or creative because why would it be? Um, it's the same people. Most of most of our ideas, we come up with them individually. But I've heard this cited a lot. Oh, the water cooler effect. Everybody gets around the water cooler and they, they share their ideas and, and, and you know that's where all the good ideas happen. Um, the water cooler effect came from an article in Psychology Today uh, by Alex Pentland. And all that research showed out of his uh, research at MIT is that small talk matters and that connectedness matters. Right. It didn't... It, yeah. <laughs> they only saw people co-locate around the water cooler because the company they were researching had a water cooler. <laughs> they didn't compare remote to local. Right. They just saw where a local shop, a place where people came in the office, they just saw where they congregated. Right. So it could be like a water cooler channel in Slack. Exactly. It could be a water cooler channel in Slack. It could be your off-topic channel. Like, mm -hmm. you, you have to acknowledge the importance of off-topic chat yeah. in Slack. I think that would be the application of the water cooler effect to a remote office. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have, you know, summits where you pull uh, everybody in, though there's a lot of benefits to a full remote workforce uh, in terms of meeting because you can meet anywhere. Um, you don't have to meet at the one office headquarters, so that could be fun, like there are benefits, mm -hmm. but uh, the, there is no water cooler effect that re literally requires a water cooler. 
there's no gathering around the coffee machine effect that can't be or has been shown not to be replicable using something like the uh, donut application or slack or just intentionally trying to get people together to get to know each other game nights yeah um can i interject real quick so I happen to be reading, um, I'm in this group dynamics course for social work, and uh, it was going into task groups and how to make them more productive. And it, too, went into brainstorming and, and the uses of it. And it's like, oh, it's it's very helpful. All these social science studies suggest that it's helpful for generating quantity of ideas. Um, but then, you know, they also confess, well, your ideas, not necessarily as a group, going to be better than the best idea of one individual, right? Um, and it's not necessarily going to be helpful to create this quantity of ideas if it's going to skew towards certain talkative members, you know, who have psychological safety and those that don't, right? So that seems to me to be the interesting thing about the water cooler study is like it was it was increasing probably some psychological safety because you got to know people in a casual way uh, and gave you a kind of camaraderie and trust maybe that would be conducive for brainstorming. Not that the study ever went so far as to say that, but I could see that maybe being efficacious. Um, even still, they suggest that brainstorming's not really structured enough uh, or that it, it doesn't... Um, in itself create the kind of environment where innovation happens that really the innovation happens um, when when there's trust when there's a healthy team yeah i i think that that makes a lot of sense to me um it what it reminds me of is i mean you got to have cycle you might have ideas locked up inside people's heads they're either uh, not feeling psychologically safe or they're not talkative but i think ultimately human beings are the idea generators in your as much as i want to focus on the team mm -hmm. it's the individuals Individual. yeah. that have the idea now right. they may be bad ideas and need a team to uh tailor them to be better right um but it's the it's the individual and it, it there's a lot to be said of of just a an evolutionary model of where do where do good ideas come from if you look at how the physical world has generated creativity right it's through our genes and evolution and so uh are you allowing people to take risks like right. mutation mutation yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. are you allowing people to change the little things here and there are you giving them autonomy to uh, occasionally go astray. Mm -hmm. Are you making sure they're sharing the results? That's mating or sexual selection, yeah, right? right. Um, Producing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you, are they going outside of their uh, tribal groups right. uh, or their you know their herds and getting more in, you know idea material from mm -hmm. from others? Are you getting outside training and outside consulting and uh, sending people to conferences to bring back all of this? Uh, really interesting material that can be churned and turned into some new idea. Right. And do you have diverse teams? Because that's yes. something else that this yes. studies have borne exactly. out. Is like, you're not actually going to have innovation without diversity. You're going to have this easy uh, formation of the team. You know, there are payoffs for a homogenous team in the very early stages because they, they can get to a place of some trust maybe a little bit earlier. But it, it, again and again, it shows like you're not actually getting the innovative ideas because you don't have diverse experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that's probably no, for another, another topic. But I mean, that's the thing is, it's so funny that studies are focusing so much on the remote, like the environment, 
and not thinking about the people. Well, well, that that leads... Like, why not go into, like, the diversity of the team and how do we attract more diverse people? Maybe it means we have to have a remote situation because our our landscape of where our headquarters is is not very diverse. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I just think it's such a weird angle to 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 like focus on i don't know the office versus zoom yeah i 100 percent agree and but but they don't even have the physical environment to stand on here uh open offices are notoriously bad for productivity they make people feel uncomfortable they make people feel insecure because your back's open to everything they're loud and disruptive um and Again, to uh, to a topical point, open offices increase uh, chances of communicable diseases. So even not yeah. in a pandemic, right. you have more sick time because you have an open office. Yeah, there's a threat to productivity and innovation. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is in a study in ergonomics in 2015. Um, open offices are just a really bad idea, and they have taken over. So it's really ironic that the defense of the office space right now that's going on that we need to get people back in the office space we have the worst office spaces we've ever had yeah so that's something i've always found interesting is that you know when i was going through scrum scrum training it's all about co-location right and there was this premium placed on sitting next to your team and being right there so you can overhear the chat that happens right and you you know like you can't overhear things in slack or something right you like you have to be physically co-located in order to get the gains of an agile team it to me it just again it seems so interesting to fixate on that instead of thinking about how do we develop truly cross-functional teams right like yeah because you're still sitting with developers right 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 i mean maybe (laughs) maybe maybe you've gotten a client in there yeah progressive organization maybe you have the client or you have some of your marketing and product people sitting next to you and but like i don't know it just it, it's I, I think it has to go back to like what's at stake in it for the companies and the people funding the research I don't know like I, I don't want to go into too much of a cynical place but it's just I don't know what it seems like the companies benefit right from having that real estate I, surely not like who wants that on their books I don't, I don't know like I'm thinking of companies who bought into new cool office spaces made those big old bullpens, right? Yeah. And then got shut down because of the pandemic. And did they see a hit in their productivity? I I mean, I mean if they did, is it something they could even suss out from like general anxiety yeah, from, exactly. from living? <laughs> but sorry. I I don't know. I just it's so interesting to me that that agile project management and, you know, some of these recent studies are focusing so much on on co-location. I think there's a lot to be said about the Agile Manifesto was a bunch of guys getting together in a ski cabin. Yeah. Right? And so like, isn't this great? You know, we should always work like this. In a ski cabin. (laughs) Yeah. But they didn't, they left out the context where they were all consultants and authors thinking about this right. stuff nonstop. Were their clients there? You know? No, they, exactly. Their clients weren't there. <laughs> were they there. getting feedback in this the ski This was their clients? <laughs> this was a beneficial brainstorming meeting. Sure, they were yeah. able to bring all that individual work together. Yeah. And then they attributed, oh, this is really innovative, mm-hmm. to the, the, the place they were at, which... 
goes to you know show you that maybe you could change where the summits are but this you're not going to be as effective if you do this all the time this is kind of like the uh the XP model. Oh, we like peer review. Let's pair program. Mm -hmm. Oh, wasn't this wasn't this session where we all got together so productive? We should always be together. It doesn't work because you needed that balance of individual deep workflow time to develop the ideas to have something to present to the group and then discuss. Yeah, what I'm hearing is the importance of diversity, the diversity of experiences that you have in your day and how you secure the different kinds of work and the diversity of your people. Um, diversity is the raw material of innovation. Yeah. Say if that you, again. <laughs> diversity is the raw material of innovation. If you look at it as, as the genetic model, as the evolutionary mm -hmm. model, the more, right, the more diverse uh, information you're bringing in, mm -hmm. in terms of that DNA, through life experiences and education and uh, industry experiences and personalities and approaches, uh, Everything you can get is going to give you a broader base, which you can pick and choose from to start building some new idea. And when brainstorming works, it's because it looks something like that entropy or like that, that messiness of bringing in more and more and more information, just getting accounting for more and more. Um, and in the study, there seemed to be the suggestion that you could only get that if you were in a space together, uh, because if people were meeting remotely, they'd get too fixated on their camera or the faces in front of them, like that they were bringing in less information because they became yeah. too focused on that was, the Zoom mechanism. That was one of the, uh, that was one of the conclusions the study drew is that uh, some of the differences they saw were in um, trying to... Uh, trying to pull in information from the room versus the people on Zoom were just kind of focusing on each other. Mm -hmm. Which I would just say, if you're trying to be innovative or, or if you're trying to do a brainstorming exercise over Zoom, turn off the cameras. Yeah, or like members can go on walks, right? They yeah, can, like while exactly. They're, while they're attending the Le meeting. Lean into remote. There's yeah. all kinds of things you can do remotely that you can't do when you're all in a meeting room mm -hmm. that, uh, as you say, going into walks in nature is, is also shown to increase creativity. Yeah. Um, I wanted to touch on a point you mentioned earlier, uh, Tom DeMarco and Peopleware. Mm. Um, Love that book. His, his argument on why do we keep buying these open offices uh, is that basically physical plant or facilities or real estate is a different line item on the books, as you say, than engineering. And so they want to keep cost per square foot down as low as possible and all the productivity benefits to having high cost per or high high square feet um which would lower the or raise the cost per square they want to keep a to they just okay. want to keep costs low <laughs> yeah, they want yeah, to keep right, costs right, right. low um all the productivity benefits of having larger facilities and more um capitalized facilities more maximizing more, space maximizing space maximizing privacy walls doors mm -hmm. you know things we normally associate with a building mm -hmm. um they get hit with those costs but they don't get to account for any of that productivity benefit so it goes again towards this this lack of holistic or globalized optimization for the business because we aren't doing cross-functional work mm -hmm. uh, now there are some more cynical viewpoints that people like open offices because uh, you can create artificial scarcity 
There are still usually a few closed offices, and those go to high-ranking, very important people. <sighs> and certainly there's a power trip if everybody is out there with their heads down and headphones on, and you walk out of your office and you think, I'm in charge. <laughs> now, I don't know that there's any... Uh, science that I, I'm aware of that can point to kind of doing this for the power differential, but it's uh, it's an interesting story to tell for sure. Hmm. Well, no, I mean, because I remember maybe this was in that same ergonomic study, just how important having closed offices are. <laughs> like the bullpen's really only helpful as a bullpen if it's a gathering space, right? Like a conference room or an open area that people can come to when they're ready to have those conversations and they need someone to bounce ideas off of. It's it's not really a bullpen. It's more like a, I don't know, like <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a chicken coop or something. Yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when you're just forcing everybody's desks to be in that big open space. Yeah, it's a factory farm. A factory farm, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's how I always felt. I mean, it's nice to be accessible, but I I'm someone who cannot have deep work if it's loud. Yeah. And in some of these really hip industrial buildings where offices are located are so loud. Yeah. <laughs> I love the aesthetic, but I hate the aesthetic. <laughs> the noise aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to touch on uh, in this, this blog that you wrote or um, in the articles that you were reading um, before we wrap up here today? Because I, I see our little bit stirring. <laughs> um, you won't get me saying this much. But one of the few things uh, I'll credit Steve Jobs for here is that uh, the balance between introversion and extroversion, collaboration and individual time seemed to be something important to him. Mm. And he did try to emphasize, uh, at least at some point in Apple's uh, you know, trajectory, I don't know how their building is now, mm. uh, private offices as well as public meeting spaces, to have uh, that collaborative time as well as that individual time. And to be honest, if you look at their campus, they also did their best to maximize window space and light coming in and natural space. Mm -hmm. So it does look like they're trying to practice what they preach there. Yeah, that is nice. It takes me back to like the marketplace m model or the forum, you know, where the ancient Greek philosophers came. But like it was often a courtyard in the middle with these individual units on the outside. And and so I think people need <laughs> that kind of setup, right, where yeah. it's it's intentional space um, and there's diverse space. Mm -hmm. It's not all homogenous. Everyone's in this supposed flat organization imposed by these cubicles. <laughs> like, flat organization isn't just how you structure your office, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have those private offices for yeah. <laughs> individuals. Yeah. It says something if that's your, your flat organization. Everyone but is your equal. Your architecture lies. <laughs> yeah, everyone is equal, but some are more equal than others. Right, right. It's, it's an interesting implication of Conway's Law, which we yeah. can talk about some other time when we... Think of software architecture reflecting your teams. All right. Well, uh, that's it for today. Let's go get our little bit up from her nap. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for joining us here on Somehow We Manage. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast on Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or Amazon Music. You can also check out our podcast on our YouTube channel. Simply search Guildmaster Consulting in quotes and you'll find us. Better yet, share about us on Twitter or LinkedIn. We need your help in the fight to make engineering jobs suck a little less. Get the word out and tag at Guildmaster C.